Good morning, everyone. Is that on? Hello? There, there I am. Hey. All right. So here we are. Beautiful spring morning. The nice gentle breeze that will no doubt be a howling gale by the end of the day. You know, a lot of people don't really care about wind. They don't really make wind the consideration uh, when they're making plans or what have you. But I kind of have to for work. And uh, you know, we we did some work recently. And it's funny because it's only about 12, 15 feet off the ground or so. But it was the scary part because the wind was gusting up to 40 miles an hour. So wind is an interesting thing. You know, it's... You, uh, and then when you when you see what what wind can do when it gets blowing about 70 miles an hour, 150 miles an hour, it's really quite impressive to think that a, a uh, brick and mortar building can be torn up by wind. So that's just my little commentary on wind for the morning. Um, yeah. So Jesus, we thank you for this day. Praise you, God, for this place that we could gather in your name and uh, bring you our offering and receive from you that which you have for us this morning. God, and I pray that you would bind the flesh, the carnal mind, God, and uh, loose your spirit in this place. Yes. Uh, we, we do so according to your word. God, I pray that we would uh, have ears to hear what you're saying to us this morning and eyes to see, not in hearts to receive uh, what you have to say to us. Lord God, we receive your word. As, uh, as you have intended for it to come to us in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen. So, you know, a lot of Christianity uh, as a whole has kind of has this idea that God is somehow far off. And uh, that He's, you know, that maybe determining what, what God wants or what God thinks about something or what God wants you to do. Uh, is something best left to the paid professional with a little collar thing. But uh, the thing is, is uh, is God is not that. You know, God is is He's here with us. He wanted to live in His people, and and so to to know the expectations of God and the the desire of God is is not something that's unknowable for the average person or whatever. Um, you know, I, I, I hate to even make that distinction between you know the, the the preacher and the lay people or whatever because aren't we all kind of in the same boat? You know. Uh, so go with me over to Deuteronomy 30. So this message has a label on it that this is intended to diagnose and treat. A number of conditions. So, I mean, you ever get out the bottle, or you, you read like some article. It's like you, you wake up at three in the morning and you have like a lump, and you go you go to WebMD and you're looking it up, and it's like, this information is not intended as an actual diagnosis or treatment for any kind of see a professional, you know, um, you know, and. Um, when it comes comes to medicine, I think you know self-diagnosis probably not the best thing. I grew up quite the hypochondriac. We had this this book 
uh, like the doctor's book of home remedies or whatever. So it's got some credibility to it because it's the doctor's book of home remedies. And I was just a, a curious lad. I had a lot of free time on my hands, and I liked to read. And this book actually was a little snarky, so I kind of enjoyed this book. I, I read pretty much cover to cover in this thing about, you know, plantar fasciitis and shin splints and angina and everything else. And I was like, I'm going to die before high school, you know. You know, it's like, I mean, you ever, you know, you read those things like, oh, I've got that. I've got that. You know, it's like next thing you know, you're sitting in the doctor's office sweating. But um, God intends for us to do just that. The, the, uh, the Bible gives us all kinds of guidelines for how we could self-diagnose. You know, if you don't like self-diagnose, self-examine perhaps. I mean, it's kind of the same thing. And uh, so today I want to talk a little bit about that, about some places in the Old Testament, some places in the New Testament where God talks about... Uh, Self-diagnosis. I, just, I like that. It's a nice, efficient way to say it to me. But uh, we're all familiar with that idea of examining our life by the Word of God, and uh, um, and coming up with uh, the right conclusion when we compare ourselves with with what it says. So in Deuteronomy 30, uh, in verse, I'm just going to read 11 through 14. For this commandment which I command you this day is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say who shall go up to us, for us to heaven, and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say who shall go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. So, so like I said, there's, uh, there's this thinking that... Um, well, I'm not really sure what God wants, or I, I don't know what God thinks about this issue, or whatever. And uh, you know, <clears throat> uh, Israel knew God's acts, and Moses knew His ways, uh, but they could both uh, were both familiar with with the things that God did, and you can certainly learn a lot from that. You, the more time you spend with somebody and find out how they react to things, you kind of get an idea of what they would do. Uh, even when you don't know them very well. For example, Bob. See, I knew he would do that. So it, it's like pushing a button, and it's really satisfying. So when Mike and I hire somebody else, uh, they need to have one syllable only in their first name. So, but anyway, so I read that passage simply to lay that foundation of God's given His Word to all of us. And it's right there in your heart, in your mouth. And and so it's uh, the idea of, well, I don't know if God is, is okay with this or not. Um, uh, it's not like it would be a great mystery if we if we take some time and, uh, and seriously um, look at what the Bible says and then compare uh, our own life to it. So go with me to Exodus chapter 30. Uh, 
And the thing I like about that idea of how God has has given us His Word and made His expectations clear to us is um, that that's the problem that Adam and Eve ran into. And that's, that's what the knowledge of good and evil still wants to do uh, now is because you, you get this sense of, well, that would be bad. Like, well, does God think it's bad? And, you know, because if, if, if God doesn't have a problem with it, then what would be the problem then? You know, like, we all, we all understand that Adam and Eve self-diagnosed themselves, but they didn't do it with the, with, uh, the criteria of the written Word of God didn't have it then but uh, but you see the difference of how they 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 had this sense of something is not right here and instead of uh, instead of correctly uh, uh, figuring out that that is actually because you disobeyed the one thing that God told you not to do now you've done it they, they thought oh because it must be because we're naked and uh uh, so there's a lot there, of course, but uh, and you guys all know that. In Exodus uh, 30, in verse 17, it says, The Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, You should make a laver of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash withal. You should put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and you should put water therein. So he's got this laver, you know, and uh, you don't really see words like that much in modern English, but uh, the first thing I think of when I hear the word laver is I think of, in Spanish, the verb to wash is lavar. So, uh, and so, obviously, this is a place to wash, and, and he's going to go on to talk about Aaron and his sons washing there. But he puts it in between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. So this is outside the the uh, the door to the, the holy place. But... Uh, uh, the placement of this, I think, is instructive because here we've we've come to the the altar, and the the, the you know the priest has done our our sacrifice uh, for sin, and uh, before we go into that place where the the sin is taken away, but or we go from there, but before we go into this place of fellowship with God, there's this place where we wash, and that's not to in any way say that the blood is insufficient or that it, uh, that it doesn't atone for those sins. It most certainly does. But uh, well, let's, let's read it here. He says, Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. So, so this is about, about your actions. This is about the way you live your life. It's about your walk, as it were. And so, uh, and, and of course it's talking about his priests here, but but he said that we're we're a kingdom of, of, of priests, we're holy people, and so before they go into this place of of fellowship with God, they they wash in this labor, where they they their life then is is cleaned up. The things that they that they're doing because God uh, he washes away our sins, but then he he has an expectation that we're not going to continue in those things. And so that's where this washing comes in. He, he said that he would have, uh, I'm just going to read it because my mind is not picking it up at the moment. In Ephesians 5, you all know where I'm going, I'm sure. I know this. Yep, uh, yep. Uh, Ephesians 5, uh, 26. 
that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that should be holy and without blemish. Okay, so the church is already uh, has that, that blood covering, but now he's talking about cleaning things up. Uh, you know, when you have... Uh, um, when you have little kids, your house gets messy. Uh, you have these little fingerprints from about here down on all your doors, little dark, scuffy marks and things on the floor. And, uh, um, you know, it's, it's fun when you come in and you can't identify what is this thing. Uh, you know, you go into your daughter's room and there's this inexplicable pink stain on the carpet. I think that may have been the pink sparkles that she said she threw up. But, uh, I don't know. But, you know, when you have children, they, they're messy. And, and so when we come into the, the, the church, we're, we're just like that. When you're born again and you're a, a baby Christian, uh, you know, you make messes. And, uh, and that's okay. God's fine with that because he understands... Uh, where you're at, and he has an expectation of of, of how you would behave. Uh, you know, I can I can tell you that Heidi's expectations for her the behavior of the kids she works with is pretty low, and uh, as it should be for their age group. And so, uh, you know, were she to be dealing with uh, fifth graders, all of a sudden her expectation would change. And and so, that's what this labor is talking about. That as you get older. Uh, uh, eventually, sometime, I hope, for my children's sake, it occurs to you that after you eat, you should probably look at your face in the mirror, make sure there's nothing on it. And, uh, you know, three-year-olds don't think about that. Apparently, eight-year-olds don't think about that at my house. But um, eventually, it occurs to you, people can see me. And if I don't, if I look messy, people are going to look funny at me. And... Uh, and so as we mature, it's not necessarily something that you have to be told. Uh, by middle school, my parents weren't telling me, oh, man, go take a shower. <laughs> like I was getting up in the morning and taking a shower because I realized that, hey, there are other people around me, and I should present myself my best foot forward. I couldn't figure out which foot that was, but... Uh, <laughs> I don't think it would have made much difference since that point anyway. But anyway, so he says, you should make a labor of brass and his foot also of brass to wash with all and you shall put it between the tabernacle, the congregation, and the altar and you shall put water therein. And Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet thereat and when they go into the tabernacle, the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not. And when they come near to the altar to minister to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord, so shall they wash their hands and their feet that they die not. And it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and his seed throughout the generations. So this this cleaning up thing is rather important. And uh, um, you know, I, I don't take this as a threat so much as as a uh, hey, this is a friendly tip here. You know, you you want to make sure that these things are getting cleaned up because it will it will come back to catch up with you in the end. You know, I. You know, I read all these articles about uh, uh, all the things going on in the news with the, the 
the, the great civil rights movement of our time with the, the homosexuals and everything, and it just makes my blood boil. But, um, you know, and it's funny because all these people that are, are so, so for the, the homosexuals are also the same people who always want to tell us that Muslims are nice people and, and everything, and perhaps some of them are, but... Uh, I was going to tell him, you know, your your buddies, the Muslims, also have they have zero tolerance for homosexuality, also more so than the Christian Church does, and uh, and both both religions teach that it is punishable by death. It's just the Muslims will do it for you right now, and uh, the the Christian Church teaches that it will catch up to you at the end, and uh, and so um, so that's and that's what I'm. I'm and I'm seeing here is where he says he talks about this this washing because they've already come past the sin offering, but he's talking about uh, and that's something that we do continuously. Don't don't misunderstand me. You know, if you you, you sin, then you get it dealt with immediately. Um, but then comes this washing, where uh, it's like a it's like a parent saying sitting you down and saying, okay, so here's what here's what we did, and. Uh, you're not going to die yet, but how how would we do that differently? Here's how we would do that differently. This is what this would be the better choice next time. And and so God is very uh, wise to do that because He wants to make sure that His expectation is clear. And if and if you don't catch on to His expectation uh, the first time around, then He's He's good with that. He'll bring you around again, and and he'll bring you around until you get it. And so, he's very patient like that. Um, I'm going to skip over to Exodus 38. I'm just going to read one verse. What we were just reading was the instructions uh, for the tabernacle. This is them actually making the tabernacle. And in 37, he talks about making the ark and the table and the lampstand. The incense altar and all those things are made of gold. And then he comes to uh, uh, this altar and this basin, and, uh, and these are made of, of brass. Of, of so there's this sense of, of judgment then before, because now we're working our way out. The ark, the table, the lampstand. We're working our way out from the holy place, the holiest of all, to the outer court. Um, so there's that sense of the the, the brass furniture coming first because uh, there there ha- there comes this judgment uh, that that we all have to submit to uh, and uh, you know people will will get hung up on well I'm, I'm doing good because of this that and the other thing and and uh, like you know so and so I don't like to deal with them because they have this issue and therefore I they're beneath me or, or what have you and, and those thoughts, uh, I think, occur to everybody at some point, and uh, and it's something that, that that you have to to deal with, and that's a great example of of washing. It's like you know you're you're walking along the street and you get splashed by the mud puddle as the car goes by, you want to go wash it off. You don't leave it there, and sometimes those things come up from inside of us. Sometimes they come at us from the outside, and and in in either case, we 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 can clean up. Uh, these things with the word of God. But in uh, 38.8, he says, he's telling you about them actually making this stuff, and he says, and he made the laver of brass, and the foot of brass, of the looking glasses of the women assembled, 
assembling, which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And you guys have all read this a thousand times, and you all know what I'm getting ready to say, but I'm going to say it. Of course, this labor was made of the mirrors, of the looking glasses, and it's, and it's polished brass. And uh, uh, because when you when you peer into the Word of God, which is what this this labor is all about, then you should see you. And so there, there there's this sense of you know you ever you ever have like this kind of mental image of what you look like, and then you you go by a mirror. And it's either a really pleasant surprise or a not so pleasant surprise. I've had that happen a lot. I don't know how many times I pick out a shirt at the store and I'm like, I love this shirt. This is great, you know. And and I have this mental image of what I look like. Then I put it on. I'm like, oh, yeah. oh well, uh, you know. And of course, nobody nobody looks at, at you with the same level of examination that you look at yourself with. But. Uh, um, so, so this, you know, you should see then, you, you see this ideal then in, in, the, in the labor. And, and then you see, you can see the disparity then in, in your reflection in there. And then uh, it gives you a starting point to uh, work with God on this thing and say, okay, this doesn't match up with what I see in here, and, and then it, it should. And so let's, you know, uh, let's, let's get this thing cleaned up. Like every, every mom knows how to act like a mirror for their children. And, uh, you know, have them stick out their tongue and, and they'll, you know, get these things cleaned up. I, I, I hate that when my kids come home from school and they've got like a smear or something across their cheek and it's like, did no one tell you it's been there since lunch? <laughs> it's like, man, you need some good friends at school because a good friend would tell you that you, hey, man, bro, you got something on your face there. So he made this labor of the looking glasses. And so uh, so this word then is that, that mirror that we see ourselves in. Uh, you know, as you read through these things, it, it tells you, you know, this was this size, this was this size, and, and it gives you all these just intricate, detailed dimensions for all this stuff. It gives you no dimensions here. It just says you made this labor of brass. And so because you don't need dimensions to the Word of God, there are certainly some hard and fast rules in the Word of God. But uh, to come into that place of walking righteous before God takes walking with Him and working with Him. And so it's not a formula thing. I like formula things where you do this, this happens. You do this, this happens. I like things nice and neat and tidy. And uh, uh, But this isn't quite like that. But it is simple in the fact that you can look at this and say, wow, God, I, I'm looking at the mirror and I'm looking at me and uh, this doesn't appear to be in order and I, I want it to be in order. I want to get this thing straightened up. That's why we all stand in front of the mirror before we, we got here this morning, making sure that every hair was strategically placed for the maximum impact upon the... Uh, the hapless people who would look at us when we got here. Uh, so in Psalm 119.9, it's one of my favorite verses ever, all time. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. And so that's what we're talking about with this labor. That's why the uh, Aaron and his sons uh, washed 
at the laver. They washed their hands and their feet because they were cleansing their way. And so uh, that's, that's just this exact same thing again, that, that paying attention. I, and I like how he says taking heed according to thy word because there's this sense of um, paying attention to where you're going, paying attention to what you're doing. Uh, you know, when, uh, when somebody calls you when you're driving, it, it takes a little more concentration to pay attention to where you're going, especially when they want to talk about something important. And so uh, the sense of paying attention to where you're going, you know, the, the conversation may be important, but as you're careening down the highway at 75 miles an hour, it's rather important to pay attention to where you're going. And so um, so when we, when we pay attention to that way, to that way that we're going, that walk that we're li- and that life that we're living, by the word of God, because it's like it's like having signposts, you know, uh, like hey, this exit coming up, so just be aware of that. And and the the word when you know the word of God, when you spend your time getting in the word of God and and putting it in you, then uh, you know you'll you'll pass by something and you'll think. Oh, you know, I mean, you ever see those uh, uh, signs that it's like, you know, right lane closed ahead, and it's got the big blinking arrow, and so everybody thinks, I should, I should go 80 in the right lane until I'm about to hit the cones, and then whip over in front of everybody, because that's the fastest way for me to get there. I'm not bitter. <laughs> No, I was driving with somebody once, or I was riding with them, and I was uh, complaining about that. And they looked at me. Well, I, I, I do that. And I just kind of looked at them like, you. <laughs> like it would actually be faster if you got over when the sign said to get over, because then you're not in anybody's way, and so on and so forth. So, But when you have that, you see that sign coming up, like, hey, right lane closed ahead. Like the Bible tells you, hey, right lane closed ahead. So what do I do then? Well, get in the left lane. Get in the left lane now. Don't don't wait until the cones are coming and you're about to, you know, crash into somebody who's driving more carelessly than you. And so uh, that's what the Word of God does. It it has this. Uh, uh, we we pay attention to where we're going with it, and and it can really benefit you and really keep you safe. So go with me to 1 Corinthians 11. So, you know, I didn't spend a great deal of time looking for for more instances of, of uh, self-examination in the, in the Old Testament, but uh, um, those to me seem to be the most obvious things that just kind of jumped out at me as, uh, as how you would do that. And... Uh, uh, this is another great one, I think. You guys probably all were expecting me to go here, and so you're no doubt yawning inside. Uh, in uh, verse 20, it says, When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone takes before another his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. What, have you not houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame them which have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this or praise you not? So he's talking about this sense of um, strife and you know division, upsetness that goes on in this, this gathering of believers. 
because they are um, behaving in a way that is uh, is most unchristian, I suppose you could say. You know, they're, he's talking about these selfish things. You know, uh, like I'm I'm first in line and, and all those kinds of things. And uh, so, if you get in front of somebody else at a potluck, God help you, because you will probably be trampled. But uh, um, anyway, uh, you know, and uh, and this would and it would be a simple thing there to examine that behavior by the Word of God. They could self-examine and say, "Hmm, so am I am I am I loving my brother like?" Jesus loved me, or am I just kind of doing what works best for me, looking out for me and mine, numero uno primero? Uh, so he says, for I have received of the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, after he took the cup, when he had supped, he said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. And you all know the the uh, what the vast majority of the t- church teaches about this passage. And the thing is, is he says that, uh, you know, he says, take and eat this. This is my body. And uh, in John chapter 1, said that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was made flesh, dwelt among us, we beheld His glory, the only begotten of the Son of God. And, uh, you know, John, what is it, 6, where he talks about being the bread of life. And so, you know, Cynthia's uh, grandfather was a uh, uh, Assembly of God pastor for his entire adult life before he uh, retired and uh, last time he was in town, we were playing a game of chess, and uh, he's like, "Do you guys have communion at your church?" And I said, "Yes, sir. Every service." He said, "Every service?" Like, yep, every service. And he's like, "Well, what kind of bread do you use?" I said, "Well, you know, we don't really do so much the bread thing because you know it says to examine yourself by it, and I examine myself with a cracker." And we were both white and salty, but that was about it. <laughs> and and he uh, uh, he that kind of seemed to go on by there. And uh, and then he he made some comment about some church that he had heard of that used rye bread or something. I thought okay okay. And then he kind of let the subject go. But uh, I think he just wanted to tell me that he knew of a church that had rye bread at their communion or something. But see, that's the thing about the communion. It's the Word of God. And, uh, and and your testimony of having been washed in that blood, that, you know, the, the margin here in verse 26 says that as often as you eat this bread and make this cup, you announce the Lord's death till He come. And so the, the world should see in your life the, the, the life and reality of God. And, uh, and uh, um, I don't think... I don't think anything about a uh, a cracker and a cup of juice is really going to do that. So, and, and he goes on here. He says, "Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord." But let a man examine himself, 
And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many uh, are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. And so, uh, I mean, how many services have you been here and it was just so uncomfortable? And, and you're listening to what he's saying and you're recognizing this is the Word of God and you're, you're frantically comparing your own life to what he's talking about. Like, not me, not me, not me. <sighs> you know, and and it's, it's a relief because everybody feels that sense of, oh man, because we're examining ourselves by the Word of God. And when you find that it's, that doesn't apply to you, happy day. If it does... It's easily fixed, so happy day. Um, and, but he says that that if you uh, that if you eat that unworthily, if you don't discern that word as, as the Lord's body, then uh, uh, then you're you're drinking damnation to yourself because you can hear the word and it just be words. You can hear it and think, oh man, I, I sure wish uh, I don't know. Japheth was here today. He really could have used that word. You know, everybody else but me is, is who this word is for. But uh, um, we all, you know, can take that word of God for ourselves and recognize this is this is the the living word of God, and it's this is what God has to say to me today because here I am in this little place I could have never found, and and the word of God is coming forth, and He has something to say to me. And and if and if I find that he's confronting an issue and it doesn't apply to me, then I can pray for whoever it is that God is dealing with about these things, that that uh, God would uh, uh, encourage them to to work these things out with him. But he says, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and you sleep. So there's a sense of, uh, you know, this makes me think of Aaron and his sons. They had to wash their hands and feet in the labor. That they die not, because when you uh, because when you miss out on this applying the word of God to yourself and and washing in the labor, then the uh, the person that you're hurting the most is you. You know, when a preacher gets up and 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 preaches this you know, precious beating type of word, and you don't take it to yourself and examine yourself by it, uh, you're you know you're not hurting the preacher; you're hurting you. You know, and and honestly, you are hurting the preacher because it's a bummer when you are trying to talk to someone that you love about some that something that's going on, and they don't want to hear it. Nobody likes that. In verse thirty-one, he says, "But or for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged." So, so there comes that self-diagnosis. This is what I'm say, was saying at the very beginning of the service about how God intends for us to self-diagnose with the Word of God. But only by His Spirit. You know, you don't want to go on a witch hunt looking for uh, every last thing. You don't want to be like a 14-year-old girl on picture day, you know, with one of those magnifying mirrors, examining her pores. Uh, but but you do want to examine your life, look at the Word, you know. And typically, if you've got something going on in your life, you probably already know. And and, and that's what Paul's talking about here. It's like if we would deal with it, then God wouldn't have to. And, and and that's what he's saying. You know, that, that's what parenting is like. As as your children get older and they understand your expectations and your rules, 
then they, they begin slowly to uh, take care of these things before you have to take care of it for them or help them take care of it. But that's what training a child is about. And so God, He trains us, but He's, but he's telling us, uh, you know, if you'll deal with this stuff on your own, uh, look at look at the Word of God, look at what it says, because that is indeed talking with me about it. And if you find something that doesn't fit, then deal with it, because there He's given us power. There's certainly plenty of things that that you can just stop like flipping a switch. And and that's what he's talking about here. Because he doesn't want to have to confront you about it. No, nobody likes confrontation. Have you ever had to sit down with somebody? It's like, hey, um, you know that thing that happened the other day? Uh, I need to talk to you about that. And instantly, you know, everybody's super uncomfortable. Uh, but once you get it, you know, you get it talked out. The worst part is getting started. But once you get those things talked out, you work it all out, everything, you know, and then it's like, hey, let's go have some hot wings. That worked out great, you know. <laughs> and uh, so um, so it, it's a it's a blessing to deal with, with the issues. And nobody likes to deal with issues, but, but getting them dealt with and getting them dealt with right away is is the best way to do it. You know, if you get a splinter in your finger, you don't want to wait like three days before you start treating it, if you can, it'd be the best thing to do would be to dig it out right there with a with a rusty box knife that's probably contaminated to something, and and um, or a needle or your teeth or something, and and then go get the go get the first aid kit and clean it up all that. It's better than leaving it in there until it turns purple and swells and. And, and all that, and, and so that's what God's saying. He's like, you know, if, if you'll just deal with this thing by what you know, because the word of God's not far away. My expectations are not off in the blue somewhere where you wouldn't know what they are, or you need to call the, the pastor to find out what they are. It's right here. It's in black and white, and I'm putting it in you. So if you'll deal with it, then I don't have to. And then in 32, he says, but when we're judged, we're chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. And so that's the point then of, of God dealing with issues. You're like, well, if I left you alone, I wouldn't really love you then because you'd be condemned with the world. But if I, if I deal with you about this thing, and if we even come into a place where, where you have consequence and punishment and so forth for this thing, then that's, that's good for you. Because otherwise, the other the alternative would be it would be condemnation, and so that's that's the great thing, you know. I mean, I've, I've had people that were angry at me, and and uh, you know, sit down, hey, let's talk about this, and and, uh, and it was always an uncomfortable conversation to begin with, but um, you know, it doesn't take long if somebody, you know, I mean, because even if you disagree with what they're saying, it's like, well, hey, you, you know, you made me angry when you did this, and you could explain your thinking, but. Bottom line is you made them angry, so it's like, well, I'm sorry, I, that's that's my bad, and uh, um, and that's that's really about all there is to it. You know, you, you get those things dealt with, and, and then everybody goes away feeling better. So, um, so then the, like I said, this this message is intended to diagnose and treat all sorts of different conditions.
because that's what the Bible does. And so uh, we all have that in us, and, uh, and, and so we can all examine those things. And, and that's what we do uh, every time we come to church. Every time you, you sit down in your comfy chair with your Bible and a cup of coffee, it's time to, it's, it's self-diagnosis time, it's self-examination time. And, uh, you know, you're, you're having fellowship with God and, and you don't want to bring yourself into this place where, you know, everything that, you know, you're all constantly looking for something wrong. Like I said, you don't, you don't want to fall into that, that, uh, that presupposition that, there must be something wrong. Let's find it. You know, it's like you know when I was when I was 17, I could get up in the morning and look in the mirror, certain that I was going to find a zit. Certain, <laughs> probably a new one. You know, but uh, uh, you know, as I got older, it was like, well, maybe there might be one there. It's still not uncommon. You know, but that, and that's that's what. That's what I'm trying to say, though, is you know that there might be something there, but uh, let let God deal with you about that. Let God show you, and you'll know as you're reading along, and there's just kind of this subtle <clears throat> while you're reading across this this verse, like clearest thou thy throat at thee, Lord? <laughs> Yay! I would clearest my throat at thee, and and so like okay, well then talk to me about that. And so, so God knows how to do those things, you know. And I think a lot of times He'll just kind of let that silence hang there while He waits for you to come around to, oh yeah, that thing. And but that's a good thing. And so God knows how to deal with those things. And and uh, honestly, the more you just submit to Him on those things and just just do what the Word God would tell you to do and deal with it, it actually gets. Gets easier and gets to be more like, well, that would be the, you know, that would be the right thing to do because then you don't go around constantly thinking, oh, I need to talk to so and so about this thing, but I really don't want to talk to him about it because uh, that's going to be awkward, and, and you know, and then you just get it over with, and life is better for everyone. So, you know, and, and you, you certainly don't want to have that kind of sense of um, friction between you and the Lord because then. When you when you go to pray, you feel like, oh, he's probably not happy with me because of such and such. In fact, his word tells me I need to go get that dealt with first, so this prayer time is not going to go anywhere. But I'm just going to ignore that anyway. I'm going to try and pray anyway, and then it, it goes nowhere. And before you know it, you're, hey, so and so, some, some, you know, so, you know, or or maybe it's something that just just you and the Lord, and and then you you talk to him about that, and then everything just kind of works out nicely. So Jesus, we thank you for your word, uh, for your love, God, for uh, everything that you have done, God, that you've given us these these tools, God, that your uh, expectations of us uh, are crystal clear, and uh, that when, when we miss something, uh, that uh, you're happy to show us, God, not like a, um, a a demanding taskmaster, but like a, a friend who would tell you that you had something on your face. And we, we thank you, Lord, that, that you do those things for us, God. And today, God, we want to examine ourselves by the word that comes forth in this place and receive it um, as exactly as you intend. God, we pray it and ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.